means the death of duty, or what of passion, desire, and lust? Must we put aside our every want for the good of our houses, or of the realm? Must we submit to a lifetime without fire in our blood, just so peace can be kept a little bit longer? Are we not human? Are we not the blood of dragons? A coward dies a thousand times, so be brave. If there is something you want, something to be had, something to make the long nights fill with bliss, why not seek it? Why not take it and have it and do your duty still? Love may be the death of duty, but passion is the spice of life. This is a watch party of ice and fire. We are your hosts, Solar, Velar Morgulis, Constance. Good evening, friends. Uzma. Greetings, lords and ladies. Morgan. Salutations. And myself, Sam. In this podcast, we will be talking everything and anything, a world of ice and fire. In this episode, we are talking about the fourth episode of House of the Dragon, King of the Narrow Sea. In this episode, Rhaenyra's marriage issues continue with a wedding tour cut short. Damon returns after conquering the Stepstones, and although named King of the Narrow Sea, gives up his crown swearing fealty to his brother. Rumors of a marriage between the Valerians and the Sea Lord of Bravos are brought up at the Small Council. Rhaenyra and Alicent rekindle their friendship over the duties of royal women. Rhaenyra and Damon have a night out where they end up in a brothel together. After Damon can't perform and leaves frustrated, Rhaenyra returns to her chambers and gets it crisped on. Otto Hightower receives intel of Rhaenyra's movements with Damon and passes on the info to the king, who is furious with Otto. Allison hears the whole conversation between the king and the hand and confronts Rhaenyra about it. A severely hungover Damon is put in front of the king where he offers to marry Rhaenyra only for Viserys to banish him once again. Viserys and Rhaenyra finally meet and go over the Valyrian steel dagger, dagger's history going back to Aenar Targaryen. This leads into a heated conversation about her night out and political responsibilities as the future queen. Viserys demands she wed Laner Valerian, which she agrees to for duty, but demands Viserys do his kingly duty as well, which leads to Viserys unseating Otto Hightower as Hand of the King. The episode ends with the maester dropping off, mo- dropping off moon tea to Rhaenyra, courtesy of King Viserys. Be sure to listen and pay close attention as you can elevate your maester's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the, to the podcast and answering our trivia. But before we get into the episode, we're starting with our segment for the love of lore, where I will be going over anything involving history, culture, and customs in the world of ice and fire, and the council will then discuss the lore and how it affects the current episode. In today's lore, we're talking about prophecy. So, as we uh, all know here, prophecy is massive in the world of ice and fire. Uh, Gorgon of Old Geese, I think, said it best that prophecy is like a treacherous woman. She takes your member in her mouth and you moan with the pleasure of it and think, how sweet, how fine, how good this is. And then her teeth snap shut and your moans turn to screams. That is the nature of prophecy. Prophecy will bite your prick off every time. So prophet- I love it. <laughs> wow. Yes, that is a that's that's some strong emotion there. It. Strong, strong feelings. Yeah. 
So uh, he obviously loves prophecy. I think he's a big fan of it. Um, but prophecy in the world of ice and fire, we mainly see it in dreams. Um, some uh, prophecies are passed down, and some are based on religion. Uh, we see uh, we see pa- uh, events of the past, the present, and the future. Um, sometimes the prophecies are usually just a vision of an individual, uh, or sometimes it's an image to interpret. Um, some past. Um, Prophecies we see come from green seers who have the green sight. Um, they were wise men of the children of the forest. Uh, there were stories that they would get um, their prophecies through wayward trees. Uh, wargs have also been known to have this ability. Um, and then some uh, with the blood of the first men also have the green sight, like Bran, Jojen, and even Jon Snow in the books. Uh, prophetic dreams uh, usually have their heavy sim- have heavy sim- symbolism and meaning in green sight. Um, and they some and some green seers even see their own death. Um, we also have the red priest and priestess of Rolor. They see visions in the flames. They also see them dreaming. Um, but their prophecies tend to be more subjective, a little more different, difficult to interpret. Uh, we saw that with Melisandre um, and her prophecies of Stannis. We saw it with um, red priestess and Danny. We also saw it with Melisandre and Jon. So uh, Melisandre doesn't have the best track record when it comes to prophecies, as we've seen. Um, and then we have dragon dreams, which is obviously with the Targaryens. Uh, that affects those of, with the blood of the dragon. So not only does it affect Targaryens, but also the Black Fires. Uh, they usually have dragons in them, but not always. Uh, Targaryens have had a very long history of relying on prophecy. Uh, we had Daenys the Dreamer, who we brought up many, many times. Um, she saw the Doom of Valyria, which caused the Targaryens to move to Dragonstone. And then, uh, as we found in the show, we have Aegon the Conqueror, who saw the Long Night, which brought him to conquer Westeros. And the High Septon of Old Town actually advised to open the gates to Aegon after apparently receiving visions and dreams from the gods. Um, we also have the Hedge Knight, which won't go into too much detail, since too much detail, since there's actually going to be a series made of the Hedge Knight. But um, there's plenty of prophecies surrounding that series. Um, Egg uh, or Aegon also. It, it's um, rumored that. He had a prophecy, and that's why the tragedy at Summerhall actually occurs. Um, and then, of course, we have Daenerys, who had many, 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 many prophetic dreams. Um, the House of the Undying, probably the most famous ones. Uh, some of the main things she saw were a dead wolf, or the head of a wolf on a man dying on a throne, obviously Rob Stark. Uh, her old life in Bravos, and then she saw the, um, the vision of... Uh, Rhaegar with Elia saying the dragon must have three heads and the whole Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, and then finally we have Viserys in this in this series, House of the Dragon. He saw a boy um, with a crown or born with a crown. Uh, and then he tells Ray- Rhaenyra about the prince that was promised. Um, this, is, this prophecy has been passed down through the Targaryens according to the series. Um, and that's like why Aegon even started conquering in the first place. Uh, the prince that pro- the prince that was promised is also known as Azora High. Um, way back during the first Long Night, um, the Azora High led the people against the darkness, aka the White Walkers. Um, they wielded Lightbringer, and after many attempts at forging the blade, they finally forged it after piercing it through Nisa Nisa, who was his wife's heart. Uh, this then made the uh, blade to burn and give off light, and basically it was a hot blade against the White Walkers. 
Uh, they fought with the children of the forest, and there's many interpretations of Azor Ahai and the Prince Edward's Promise all around the Planetos, but basically it's the same thing. I think there's somewhere in the Planetos where I think it's a, a like an evil monkey is what was coming after everybody, but essentially that's just another long night thing. But the theory or the prophecy for the return of Azor Ahai, just like in many religions, we had um, they're supposed to be born amidst salt and smoke beneath a bleeding star. They're going to be a legendary warrior who rises against the darkness. Um, we see the dagger in this series has the line, from my blood comes the prince that was promised, and his would be the song of ice and fire. Uh, the word prince in Valyrian actually has no gender, so it's important to note that the prince that was promised also means the princess that was promised. So it could be anyone from Rhaegar, Stannis, Aegon, Daenerys, John. There's a whole list of people who are potential candidates for Azor Ahai, the prince, princess that was promised. Uh, but the main thing about prophecies is they're most of the time misunderstood and mis misinterpreted, uh, especially with the Targaryens. It's probably the reason for all that fire and blood. Uh, many other people and civilizations have killed for prophecy, uh, which is why I think we have such a great ser series of books and shows. Uh, what do you all think about prophecy in the world of ice and fire? Uh, Constance, we'll start with you. Well, I think that it's a good way to explain motivation, destiny. People feel that they are the ones that fit this prophecy, and so their ends justify the means, just like with Stannis especially. Right. He felt that he was the one. And so whatever he did was was destined to be the right choice because he was destined to be the right person. Uh, so it bites you in the ass or as, as they put it, bites you in the dick. Uh, <laughs> but I think that that's a, it's a driving factor because a lot of people believe that they are the chosen one. Because of this prophecy, the, the Song of Ice and Fire. And it's their driving motivation because they feel that they've got an obligation to either save the world because they're the one destined to save the world or be the one that unites everyone together so that they can save the world as a whole. So I think that the prophecies are, are, are pretty instrumental to the whole world of ice and fire, which is why it's called the world of ice and fire and a song of ice and fire. Um, but that's my take. Uh, Morgan, what do you think about these? Oh, I have so many thoughts about prophecies. Um, but uh, I think in many ways they dropped a lot of prophecies, the fact the, how the prophecies were going to play out in the show in Game of Thrones. Uh, however, I believe a lot of the prophecies in the books and even several of the ones in the shows were were real. They were just, it was all about interpretation of whether or not things played out the way you expected the prophecy still happened um the there were all sorts of prophecies in the books that we're just like sitting I, i've been just sitting there with bated breath to see them play out and several of them were cut from the show entirely and then they didn't play out obviously um and I was like, huh, they never said this prophecy. I wonder if they're just going to... Yep, they skipped it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep, they went a different direction with that entirely. Um, but yeah, there, the prophecies were how 
me and probably many, many, many people were able to identify that Jon Snow was the child of Rhaegar, right? Spoiler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, because of because of Daenerys's prophecies was the main one that made that clear to me because not only were was she having prophecies about. Uh, Rhaegar and all that stuff, but she also had a prophet. She also saw in her visions. Uh, I I forget the name of the flower that was the symbol of Lyanna Stark. Blue flowers, blue rose. Uh... It was the winter rose. Yeah. Yeah, winter. Yeah. Winter rose. Yes. So the winter rose appears on the wall in her vision, and I'm like, yeah, that's John. Like, what else could it be? <laughs> That was the obvious one. Yeah, it was like the most obvious thing in the world, at least to me. <laughs> um, and so, like, I just waited for years for them to confirm it. <laughs> um, but yeah, th there's so much prophecy, and I, b I believe the way it's written, all of the prophecies are meant to come to fruition in one way or another. That they do have real world results they're just not always the way that the people interpret them to be like constance was saying like obviously stannis wasn't azora high reborn right <laughs> like just because uh, just because azora high might have been reborn stannis definitely wasn't that um and the idea of forging the sword through stabbing it into the wife's, the true love's breast. I mean, John kind of did something like that. Um, but just saying, like, there was a lot of things. And another, I'm just going to say another thing that a lot of people always irritate me about. And I, I don't like the way the, the original series ended. But, <laughs> but when everybody says that John... John was the prince that was promised and they cut his prophecy and and ruined it. They didn't. He I still believe he was the prince that was promised. He accomplished everything and he never became king because he was the prince who was promised. <laughs> Thank you very much. Everyone's like, "Oh, he's destined to be king." That was never part of the prophecy. Thank you. <laughs> That's true. All right. Uh Solar, your turn. Go ahead. Well, bouncing off what you said, yes, his name was Prince, and he was funky. But um, uh -huh. real talk, um, prophecy in a Game of Thrones, in my opinion, is an underhanded way of watching the citizens of the Black City of a shy fuck with people. Because um, all the prophecies are so magical and so vague that everyone that gets caught up in them since Danny's the Dreamer gets caught up in misinterpretations and every single one of those misinterpretations that come through with the prophecies always lead to death, destruction, um, and you can it's almost arguable that it leads to the utter obliteration of at least one house be it the reins 
the gardeners. Um, I forgot which house was wiped off. Oh, yeah, the Tyrells. Um, every single time somebody goes um, chasing prophecy, it's like, you know what? We kind of needs to purge the population here, you know. And honestly, I'm just seeing a bunch of mask-wearing um, sorcerers in a shy looking through their glass candles and glass mirrors just laughing. Just, just laughing. Like, you know, that that's definitely what I see. Because um, it's really interesting um, with the stuff in A Song of Ice and Fire is very reflected when it comes to prophecy and its hardcore lack of actual faith. Because um, there is a difference between religion and believers. And they talk about the faith of the seven. They talk about the the old gods. They talk about the, um, what is it? The fire god. Um, help me out here. Who the who was? Yes, the yes, the Lord of Light. Lord. Lord of Light. You know they talk about that a lot, but in all of the show, you could really see that there was maybe one or two true believers. You know, quite honestly, the death cult had the most faith. And so far in the story, um, the faceless men are the only ones who haven't suffered from following prophecy, you know? So I, I really think that it, it seems like a little, uh, a little game of, Hey, Hey, I'm going to poke them and, and watch them do this. That that's what I'm seeing. As far as how the people follow their prophecies, um, it's also a reflection of desperation of control of the future, as far as I can see. Because every time they bring up the Asura High prophecy, everyone thinks it's either them or their kid. You know, um, even in the lore, um, it was like as soon as Rhaegar found out about the prince that was promised, it was like, oh my god, it's me! And... <laughs> um, and I, I really see a lot of similarities between the end times Christians and the prophecies in a song of ice and fire of this cool thing is going to happen. And I want it to happen while I'm alive to see it. You know what I mean? Like I want to be a part of this prophecy. So yeah, it is fickle. And in that way, I think it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. But if there's anybody in this thing that knows the prophecies more than anyone else, I'm going to, I'm going to throw the ball over to Uzma for this one because you know the <laughs> prophecies better than any of us. So what are your thoughts? <laughs> I love the prophecies. And uh, I'm with Morgan on this one. Uh, prophecies are uh, never wrong. I've heard people say that uh, prophecies are wrong. And Tyrion says prophecies is a double-edged sword. But uh, I agree with Morgan that prophecies are never wrong at least in this uh, in the world of ice and fire uh, the only its interpretation is wrong uh, you talked about the prince that was promised prophecy it was made centuries ago uh, and uh, it wasn't melisandra who made the prophecy it was her wrong interpretation that uh, she came to the conclusion that uh, dragonstone was the place for the uh, salt and smoke and she came uh, to the decision that Stannis was uh, 
the prince that was promised but uh, it's her fault and i think uh, when i read the books i i get this feeling that uh, rolor is screaming at her that john is azora high <laughs> and she she's just uh, closed her ears and no stannis is <laughs> azora <high. laughs> like she literally asks uh, for a vision of azora high and she sees john's face and hears his name whispered in her ears and she's like no stannis is azora high <laughs> so <laughs> she's doubling down on stannis yeah so it's a it kind of like uh, she is stubborn that uh, she wants to make the prophecy she sees fit uh, to come true and uh, i also disagree with solar that prophecy is the cause of all the death and destruction like uh, if there was no prophecy would those uh, were those is it possible that those deaths could have been avoided i don't think so those things still would have happened Yeah, I, I want to make clear. I'm not saying that prophecy is the cause of all the death and destruction. <laughs> um, I'm saying that people's interpretation of prophecy causes a lot of it. It's a contributing factor, but not the contributing factor. I just want to make that clear for the listeners. Uh, the only. Uh... the only place where i see this happening is with cersei uh, because when she heard the prophecy that uh, valencor was going to kill her she became obsessed with it and she uh, became obsessed with tyrion the idea that tyrion is going to kill her and that's how she brought about her own doom so for prophecies i think they are always true and i as for uh, regar i love how they narrowed it down like uh, during the time of aegon and the uh, and house of the dragon aegon just says that the prince that was promised will come from my line but by the time we reach aerys and rhaella it narrows it down to uh, aerys and rhaella like the prince that was promised will come from aerys and rhaella's bloodline and that was the reason why regar thought that he was the prince that was promised but after that he changed his mind that it was going to be his son and i still believe that uh, it's possible that he <clears throat> he got with lyanna because of the prophecy i don't think regar was the kind of person who will just leave his wife behind and he was planning to dethrone ares he left everything behind uh, for lyanna and maybe he had another vision or some reason <laughs> to believe that it was time or maybe what do you think uh, what do you guys think yeah that makes that makes sense i completely concur this has always been my thinking i agree <laughs> and what do you think sam Oh yeah, I mean I I I totally agree. I mean, I I've always thought that Rhaegar probably knew a little bit more than he was than he was letting on. I don't really think that he just like fell in love. I don't really like that story, so yeah. All right. So, moving on, we have the dragons in the details where Constance and Uzma will be going over small details you may have missed in the episode as well as the fantastic costumes, props, and sets used. After you, Constance and Uzma. Okay. So, the first scene we are going to discuss is the structure of valeria in the you can see how huge it has become when we wa- watched this structure in the second episode you can see it was incomplete uh, it was still huge and you can see uh, that there are books lying on top of it but now in the pre- uh, fourth episode 
just see uh, how big it had become. Uh, when I watched it in episode two, I was like, Valeria, how was it so short, like so small? Uh, it had, it has to be larger than this. And now we can see that it was incompleted and it's larger. You can see the structure. And uh, as I discussed in my opening credits uh, breakdown video, uh, there is a, a book on Valeria lying on top of this structure. And when we, uh, that was from episode two. And when we look at this scene from the last episode, you can see that very book lying on the corner. And when Renira and Viserys are talking about it, what do you think, Constance? Well, I think it's a nice progression because time has passed, right? Yeah. We know that the first episode, then there's about a six-month time jump, then there's about a three, two-year time jump. This is a year after that. So uh, showing the city getting bigger and bigger every time we come back to it helps us show that time has passed, that he's continued to work on this passion project of his to, to rebuild Valyria. I'm just surprised <laughs> how he can still do it after two of his fingers are cut off. <laughs> Well, like he doesn't actually do the carving. Remember, he has the stonemasons do the carvings based on his projections. Oh, I just assumed like, he was the one who did it because we saw him no. doing it. Uh, uh, he was carving the dragon when uh, Alicent first came to console him about Emma no, Aaron's he, death. He even said that he, he gives the stonemasons the specifications and they're the ones that build everything for him. So I, I couldn't imagine him actually having the artistic talent or the patience to do this, especially missing <laughs> two fingers on his left hand. So that's that's my take on here. Now we have some fun during the um, the uh, audition of the suitors, which takes place at uh, uh, at Storm's End, which is the Baratheon seat. We have two houses that have an old conflict that's been baked into the story histories. House Bracken. Uh, which you can see is represented by the red horse on a yellow field. That is Sir Amos, um, represented there, the, the, the kind of a dickish guy that, that mouths off to the kid. <laughs> the kid is Samuel Blackwood. Uh, the Blackwood symbol is a flight of ravens around a dead weir tree, or a, a white weirwood tree. Uh, and the two of them have a history. The two families uh, used to be kings of the Riverlands, but uh, they always fought with each other. The Blackwoods say that the Brackens were petty lords that tried to usurp their throne, and the Brackens say that the Blackwoods were full of crap. Um, so the fact that these two are, are at each other's throats instantly is a nice touch to the in-world in lore that doesn't have anything to do with the story other than a bit of drama but it is something that comes from the established text that these two have a fight well yeah well, it's mentioned Rhaenyra. a lot in the books but uh, we never saw yeah. that in game of thrones yeah yeah it takes place on the trident actually instead of at storm's end so they're kind of condensing things together um but yeah apparently these these two uh face off a second time sometime in the future this is not this is just round one according to the stories so, Yuzma, uh, back to you. Okay, then we see the instructions Damon left for uh, Rhaenyra to follow. As you can see, uh, he left the instructions in Valyrian. The language looks similar to the one we saw on the dagger. And uh, you can see uh, in the center, there is a snake or wyvern kind of symbol. 
सो आई आई एम गेसिंग देर आर टू काइंड टू सीक्रेट डोर्स हेयर एज इट्स पॉइंटेड एंड रेनिरा गोज टू वन ऑफ दैम एंड वैन यू सी इट हेयर यू कैन सी दन इन देंटर हैज दैट स्नेक और वाइवर्न काइंड ऑफ आई थिंक इट्स अ ड्रैगन एंड इट हैज़ अ लॉन्ग नेक जैन इट्स फनी दैट इट्स लुक्स लाइक खरेक्सेस बिकॉज खरेक्सेस ऑल्सो हैज़ अ लॉन्ग नेक इवन दो ही इज जस्ट अ ड्रैगन वॉट डू यू थिंक क्वेश्चन्स I agree with you. Uh it's it's definitely that style of dragon with the elongated serpent's neck or a, a worm is more commonly what they call dragons with really snake-like bodies. Um but yeah, I I'd say that's that's definitely what we're looking at here. That's what he sketched in that little that little drawing. And I also love the uh, this detail because uh in the books uh, Varus uh, is the only one who knows all the secret passages and everything and now we know that Damon knows about it too. Uh, all the secret passages and everything. Do you think it has something to do with Missaria because Missaria is the lady version of Varus in this series? <laughs> I think she gets it from him. Well, we know that he knows secret passageways. Yeah. Uh and that actually will become important. I'm pretty sure that he knows the ways in and out of the castle that nobody else does. <laughs> uh but I think if if Miseria knows anything it's because Damon told her. Yeah. What do we have next, Constance? Well, next we're just taking a look here at Storm's End. Uh this is where the Baratheon seat again where the 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 suitor presentation takes place. Uh and we're looking at a chair that Lord uh Bormund Baratheon the head of the head of house Baratheon is sitting on. Now, this is a carved chair with little fish symbols carved into it. And this is not his usual chair. Usually he sits in the throne that Rhaenyra is sitting on, the one with covered with all the furs. Uh so this is like a guest's chair that he's using. It's like a th- the second best seat in the house because <laughs> the princess has the best one. So yeah, it's carved with little fishes and I think that's because Dragon uh because Storm's End is an island surrounded completely by water. Yeah. At first I wondered if it had something to do with House Tully, but I don't think it has yeah. anything to do with that. No, I don't think it's the Tullys. I think it's just I think it's just a fish. Sometimes a fish is just a fish. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing we're going to look at here is Rhaenyra and Alicent kind of bonding together once again over their shared situation. Now, Rhaenyra uh is wearing throughout this episode, the first time we see her, she's got on a crimson dress with that off the shoulder look that we've discussed, the collarbone being the ankle of Westeros, uh with a much more mature line to it. Off the shoulder, sleeves are long and elegant, it's red, it's gold. She's got a very mature very polished look to her giggity when she comes back to kings <laughs> yes exactly she's she's kind of on display which is kind of the point of getting her in front of all these suitors um for them to make their 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 pl- their argue their case uh, when she goes back to dressing at king's landing she's wearing very conservative clothes uh golds this dress here is gold and pink Uh she's wearing very high collar V collar dresses. She's got flowing open sleeves. It's all very maidenly, it's all very demure, it's very princessy uh in the classical princess fashion sense. But it helps show that at this point she's still relatively innocent. Pure and she's innocent. Not, yeah, pure and innocent and she's she's not entirely embracing 
her own sensuality and her own womanhood, she's still dressing like a maiden. Now, Allison, on the other hand, being a wife and mother, is dressing much more maturely. And in this case, she's wearing red and black again, which is the house colors of the Targaryens. And it matches the king's red and black. And she's got a dress made of beautiful black paneled silks with red shoulder uh, sheer sleeves that drop down to the floor and an embroidered two-headed dragon on the, on the chest piece. But I think it's still connecting her to the king. And what we see a lot of is that she is his nursemaid, his bed warmer. She is, and as she puts it, people don't see me as Alicent, they see me as the queen. So everything that we've seen from her is linking her to the king where she doesn't have her own identity. She is the king's extension. Uh, so I think that's the symbolism that we've seen in Alicent's dresses throughout this episode and throughout her evolution as queen. Now, she's got a second dress on. I would like to add that I, it kind of feels like she has finally accepted uh, that she has uh, become a part of uh, Targaryen uh, Mm -hmm. family and uh, she has finally finally accepted it uh, like before she was fighting she was always wearing blue or green and now it seems like she's ready to embrace it but uh, in the other trailer from what we've seen in the trailer uh, later we see her wearing greens green mm -hmm. a lot too <laughs> going going back to her house colors yeah. versus the targaryen house colors yeah uh, but these two have rekindled their friendship. Uh, it, it's been a few years. I think they've kind of gotten over the awkwardness of being mother and stepdaughter. And they're uh, holding hands again. They're yeah, finally friends other. again. <laughs> yeah, they're finally friends again. It just took a couple years for things to get less awkward. Um, but we're looking at a shot of the rings that Rhaenyra wears. Uh, they're beautiful gold worked jewels. Lots of very ornate things. And she wears one on almost every finger as opposed to like an engagement band or a wedding band. And we even see the same thing. By the way, uh, is it just me or uh, the first one uh, looks like uh, the uh, kind of like the one we saw, uh, the thing we saw on the small council table, the marble, uh, the golden uh, round sphere looks like uh, the marble on the platter, uh, the one we saw in the small council it kind of reminds me of that. <laughs> okay. It could be a stone. It's probably a set jewel, uh, like some kind of uh, pearl, perhaps. That would make sense if it's round. Uh, but Rhaenyra is wearing, again, the necklace that Damon gave her, the, the Valerian steel necklace. And that seems to be her favorite, but she doesn't always wear it, especially after the scene where she's accused of uh, sleeping with him. So I think she may back away on that. The design on her, uh, the front... Uh... Of her dress? Oh, of Allison's dress. Yeah, yeah the, two, the dragon with two, two heads facing either way. It's really pretty embroidery. <laughs> and then there's their hands. Their hands are, they're holding hands again. And uh, Rhaenyra has a, a ring that's made out of a coin. I saw, I saw a close-up of this or a reproduction of this, and it was really hard to tell who's, which coin it was. I don't think it was very clear uh, who it was that we're looking at there. But we're going to end with a nice shot of the two of them holding hands and being besties again. And that's it for Dragon is in the Details, unless you have anything, Uzma? Uh, no, I think that's it. Back to you, Sam. Awesome, thank you. Uh, next, we have our Raven's Eye segment, where Solar will be talking about the cinematography and directorial choices made and how they affect the episode. To you, Solar. Well, hello, everyone. 
Welcome to the Raven's Eye. Now, every week I go over a certain scene that really stood out in the episode. I try not to be predictable, but today let's talk about the elephant in the room. Um, and it's not why you think. So, in the middle of Act 2 of our one-hour mini-movie, we have Damon and <laughs> Rhaenyra, let's call her Ray Ray, um, or sorry, yeah, yeah, let's call her Ray Ray, um, heading to a brothel after going out on a night on the town and she gets to see what the small folks really think of her. And it was a very interesting date. And it ends, like all good dates do, at a brothel, where there is, um, how can I put this? Um, I'm trying to put this politely. But, yeah, they fall into a giant cesspool that sounds like sweat, or that smells like sweat, feet, and pleasure. Now, the Game of Thrones franchise has always been known for its sex position, which was something that was very much missing in this show so far. Um, but I'm only briefly going to touch on how the carnal activities were being um, shot within the brothel and the artistic choice of the juxtaposition between um, what was happening in the brothel with everyone there along with um, Damon and Ray Ray, along with the just juxtaposition between Alicent and um, King Sticky Fingers. Now, where we got, um, where we have once she ends up in there and sees what's going on, there were a lot of interesting directorial choices, specifically the fade outs and the lighting. This scene very much showed a lot of mutual pleasure, which the director herself specifically said that she wanted to expose on this. But what really stuck out to me was the ethereal dreamlike state of the shooting, where we had out of focus, but in focus people covered in body art, slathering themselves all over each other, um, mixed with fades in and fade outs or fade-ins and fade-outs of um, Princess Ray Ray going, hey, uncle, how you doing? And him going, yeah, I want you to know I got game. Look at all this game. Oh, yeah. And um, the dim lighting with almost a spotlight, um, almost a spotlight effect, really puts us in the head of specifically Princess Ray Ray, as she's looking at all these people having sex with this dreamlike quality, it's almost like she comes to an awakening that sex is something that can be done for fun. And it's a really interesting um, cinematic language to show with the ethereal type state the dreamlike focus with the soft focuses in the back, the depth of field being used. Um, and again, that lighting, which is almost in a vignette kind of way when you look at everything. Um, and you get a pile of people having a great time juxtaposed against Princess Alisane. 
um, literally laying on her back going, yep, yep. I wonder if I left the gas on. Is this a... Lie, is... lie back and think of Westeros. <laughs> you know, like, really, I, I was really thinking, like, was she working on statistics? Was she like, hmm, I wonder. I think, I think I'll get a pedicure after this. And, oh, my God, I hope he doesn't drip on me. Um, was really the whole thing. And um, it was a very interesting way to shoot the juxtaposition between the ethereal and dreamlike awakening of Princess Rhaenyra versus the duty-bound sexual behavior of Queen Alicent, and all done through the female gaze. Um, for a lot of people that were really wondering what a lot of the differences between um, what men look for during the sex scenes and what women would look for traditionally. Um, you very much have sensuality on one side and grunting on the other side. Um, so this was a very interesting thing to, to really weigh back and forth. Um, and I think a really great way to push the, um, the narrative of Princess Ray Ray's phobia of sex, given what, um, well, I can't call it a phobia because it's not irrational, but her no thanks, I'd rather notness, um, given the cultural context of Westeros and what she keeps being told a woman's place is within it. So... It was a very interesting scene to watch. Um, and quite honestly, um, it really showed a lot of different things <clears throat> from that perspective. The final perspective I'd like to um, talk about, and this goes back to juxtaposition, which is the juxtaposition between the two brothers, where you've got Damon, this fiery, passionate, hot-headed, impulsive guy, against his brother who wants everyone to like him and how can i put this isn't the worst at his job but it's definitely in the top five um <laughs> literally based on their passions and their desires and i thought it was a really good directorial choice showing damon's um and this was really a testimony to matt smith's acting talent the conflicted nature of him knowing that what he's doing isn't necessarily wrong but why it seems he's doing it he is conflicted about which leads to impotency outside the battlefield again <laughs> um and we're talking six years after um after we initially see him in the brothel with lady misery um and his brothers just, I don't think carnal is the right word, but his brother's very selfish manner. Like you can see between the two of them where exactly the dragon awakens in their blood. And so I thought, I, I thought that scene was very well put together. And I got to give my hat, I, I got to give a tip of the hat to the editors of this show because they're really playing with juxtaposition and symmetry 
between this episode and the first episode with the scene that I don't want to talk about anymore. Uh, and, um, and and again, the, this scene and the the differences between um, pleasure, duty, and what a woman would perceive her place is in such a patriarchal society. So that that that's really what I got out of this episode. But what do you guys think? What are you guys seeing that I might miss? Um, I'm going to throw it to Morgan on this one. <laughs> yeah, because I, I love hearing what you have to say about this stuff. <laughs> okay, so all the character interactions were my favorite part of this whole show. Uh, that's why this episode was my favorite thus far because it was all the drama. Um, I, Ooh, I'm going to get a little more into this in our, in our next discussion set, but I just, I loved watching the scene in the brothel and I, I, I hated watching the scene in the bedroom, right? Like, she was miserable. Like, I was looking at her and being like, yeah, girl, I get it. You're thinking about what happened to his last wife. <laughs> um, no. Wow. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh that, no. That's special. That is special. Am I wrong? I'm just saying. Like, it's... She is... She is there, f as you said, for duty. But I think it's almost... Uh, like a, a more extreme thing because it's not as though she was expressly commanded in in the straightforward ways because her father doesn't work in straightforward ways she was suggested she was cajoled she was told where to go and what to do but not exactly why or to what ends and she's just living the life she's being put through and it's just hard to watch. I feel bad for the girl. Like she is suffering. And it's very apparent in that in that scene. Uh just watching her face. We didn't need to see Viserys's face. We saw his actions. But we saw her face. And that was important. I think it the, the fact that we could see that. Yeah, go ahead. I think it explains why uh, Rhaenyra is so hesitant about marriage because uh, she sees uh, her when she thinks of marriage she thinks of her mother and uh, her best friend and you can see uh, this is the type of life she doesn't want and that's what she imagines that if she is married for political reasons that's how her life is going to be and Damon changes that pers perspective of her and that's uh Damon really helps her in this and I really liked what Solar said about the contrast between uh, Viserys and Damon uh, you can see how different they are through their actions and uh, you can see uh, like uh, yes Viserys is a good guy but does not, that does not mean he is a good husband He's, uh, he wants everyone to be happy and I can understand that. He wants to, uh, everyone to get along. I can understand that. But he doesn't take any actions. He doesn't do anything. But Damon, on the other hand, he, if he wants something, he takes action for that. And uh, uh, the scene with Rhaenyra, 
he does realize uh, he is doing it wrong but i don't think uh, it's the relationship with renira i think he uh, he doesn't like that he is betraying the uh, trust of renira because uh, he knows renira really likes uh, damon uh, like their relationship is uh, very healthy and uh, like very good uh, and he doesn't like that and he maybe he feels like uh, he doesn't like taking advantage of renira renira's trust in him and that's why he doesn't go through with it that <laughs> yes well i wanted to comment on the fact that we were looking at different kinds of sexual uh sexual situations right and like solar said yes. there's a very big difference between the female gaze and the male gaze and this featured female pleasure for the sake of female pleasure right there was the sensuality of it all there's the fact that Rhaenyra makes the decision to press forward even when Damon's starting to pull away and then there's her her decision to take you know Christian Cole to bed and usually when you see a sex scene from a male perspective it's very much showing the male's gratification it's about him it's about what he wants you know the usually the, the woman is on top typically so you get nice boob shots um but in this case you had a mixture of things showing the pleasurable aspects of mutual satisfaction between Rhaenyra and Christian Cole. Uh, and then you had the sex for the sake of duty, which was traditional missionary position from top-down perspective, so that you could see what Allison's face was like and just how she was tolerating it and couldn't wait for it to be done, which also gave us a really good shot of his back and the sores which is a compounding situation. It's like, oh my God, she's being touched by this guy that's literally rotting away, uh, adding to the, the, the disgust of that, of that juxtaposition, which you go from the very sexy, sexy dreamlike state to a very realistic, and you can even see it in the cinematography. There was no soft lighting. There was no fade. It was just flat, top down. This is what Alicent is going through. So seeing that, it's a very different perspective on the sex position that we saw in, you know, the original series, which was all very male-driven, male-pleasure-driven. So it, I think it helps having a female director for, for an episode like this because it does explore a woman's idea of pleasure versus a man's idea of pleasure. So that's, that's my take, Sam. Yeah, you, you I mean, you you took the words right out of my mouth with, about the whole, like, the sores on his back, like, basically, like, a corpse on top of her, like, like just, like, adding on to everything else that went, happened with her in the episode, like, on top of, like, that comparison with Damon and um, Viserys, like, when they're talking just kind of in the garden and, and, uh, Viserys and Viserys and Damon are talking in the garden and Allison says to Viserys like why don't you show your brother to tapestries and Viserys just like laughs at her you know like oh yeah he's gonna want to see that but then you look at Damon and he's having this like this banter with like with Rhaenyra and they're kind of having this little thing going on and then like you know when they're when Rhaenyra and um Allison are talking like to Rhaenyra the whole like childbirth thing and heirs thing and like being a queen thing still a joke but to allison it's like very much in the now you know she's like they just want me to pop out heirs and you see allison being like yeah that's exactly it like you know and, and like there's even some points in like so far i mean i think there's only been two episodes where allison has children and i don't even know she doesn't even show like really any love to her children like which i get it because she was basically just put there to be a baby maker and like you know you see that one scene where she's like kind of shaking the baby when he's crying and like 
but there's like no emotion in her eyes. She's just kind of there like shaking the baby. Like, yeah, this is what I'm here for. So like, yeah, that like whole thing is just as, as a parent, I've been there. (laughs) Just the baby just keeps crying. (laughs) I I, got to confirm on that. You know, there, there are stages from, Oh, that's my to shut up, shut up, shut up to, all right, fine. Yep, that's Just what cry you're, it out. you're crying. That's what they, you're a screaming, shitting ball of need. I get it. So, you know, oh, look, now you smell bad and you need something. Yep, you're right on schedule. Um, but I'm glad that you guys noticed the source, too. Um, my last question, um, or my, um, my question for this one also to the panel, if we have time, is um, do you guys think that it being a woman director for this episode – that there is an intentional, what's the term I'm looking for? An intentional discomfort when it comes to the the male perspective? Like, do you think that it was shot not just for the male gaze or for the female gaze, but sort of against the male gaze? Did you guys get that? Um, I haven't actually formed an opinion, but since we're talking about the male gaze and the female gaze, I figure I'd jump ahead of the comments. Yeah, go for it, Morgan. Just anybody jump ahead. Hi. Okay, so (laughs) first of all, I've been reading all the comments that people have been posting on the Facebook group that uh, Uzma helps to run, and oh my goodness. (laughs) So many, primarily guys, are just saying how boring this episode was and how much they did not care and how much they hated it and how it was the worst episode they've seen. And I'm sitting here being like, that was the hottest shit I've seen in a very, very long time. (laughs) I was very, very okay with it. And I'm just like, I couldn't understand what they weren't seeing. But now boobs. that you're bringing it up, they it's weren't bringing, seeing boobs. It, it's occurring to me they weren't see, they didn't see boobs right like you could see the curvature, but it wasn't about her body being visible, it was about the acts happening and the passion and the situation and the story, which I guess in primarily male focused porn is not actually <laughs> what matters. <laughs> Wait, porn has stories? No, I'm I'm kidding. Uh-huh. I'm kidding. <laughs> This is but why I write. I know smut. they have stories. Yeah, no, I I know they have stories. You know, them, someone uh, orders a pizza and everyone gets what they want. Uh, what was that, Uzma? I think the uh, female uh, director wanted to show the woman's perspective in this, like how there are uh, even in real life there are women who are married uh, for, for, like there are ma- uh, arranged marriages uh, all over the world. Uh, there are many women going through it, and I think she wanted to uh, show that. Uh, in, in difference, like compared to what we see in Game of Thrones, which is completely different. It was kind of like she was si- trying to send a different message. Like, it's not always all, what's the word? Mm, sunshine and roses? No. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, women suffer too uh, in marriages, and that's what she. Uh, showed through it 
Yeah, Damon was saying that you, even though you're married, you could still find pleasure. And then you had that juxtaposed with your, even with Alicent, who's married. Yeah, and I no wanted to uh, ask you guys so about it. Uh, because uh, I heard some people saying, like, what kind of message they are trying to send uh, through this, uh, like, uh, if you're not happy in marriage and all that. So what do you guys think about it? I'm reminded of Mel Brooks. <clears throat> the message that I got was, it's good to be the queen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it it told me that I made the right choice in being polyamorous. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, you don't have to. If if things aren't going well, you have other options. Um, you have options. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that like you can't you can't love someone for one thing and have struggles in another place. You just keep increasing your love life uh but only to the point where you can actually handle it uh but i think that's kind of like right now rainira is got two guys possibly more we'll see <laughs> but right now she's got two guys and she's not particularly unhappy with either of them she's not particularly <laughs> making a choice and saying oh this this is the guy i'm gonna be with She's just living her life, and for the first time, just living her life. I think she and would have been happy with Damon if Damon hadn't backed away. <laughs> well, I think Damon had to back away, and also it was just such good storytelling. Anyways, what do you think, Sam? Yeah, you have been kind of quiet on this one. <laughs> no, I mean, uh -huh. I mean, I don't have, I don't have like too much really to add. Like, I, I do. I thought I watched the inside the episode and. One of the things I thought was interesting that the director said is, is she, she was saying that it was important for her to get the sex scenes right from a woman's perspective, but she didn't want to do it. Like she was said it was a struggle because every movie and show that she's ever seen was from a male perspective. So like while she still has a woman's perspective because she's seen it in a male's perspective, she had to like really figure that out. And I thought that was really interesting when it came to like doing those scenes, but I, I, I thought the, I thought it was really good. I mean, like, you know, the brothel was obviously popping, like they were having a great time and like things were fun. The drinks were flowing. Obviously Damon didn't have as much fun, but, um, yeah, I think I, I, I think overall it was like a really good scene. I thought the music was really good. I always feel like the music has to be mentioned because I thought the music was fantastic throughout her adventures in King's Landing. So yeah, I feel like I did not contribute very well to this topic, but yeah. <laughs> I have a very male gaze. I can't help it. I'm sorry. Hey, there's we nothing forgive wrong you. With <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with having yeah. what you have. Yeah. But that wraps it up for the Raven's Eye. Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Reynolds. And with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the way. So if you want a hobbit hole bookmark, 
or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch Vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. And now for our main segment, Fire and Blood, where the whole council digs into some of the biggest moments that came up in the episode. Morgan, you have some questions for us? Uh, Of course I do. I always do. Uh, So, uh, again, I'm going to preface this first question that I've been giving you all for a while now, that you have to pick one or the other, Solar. Um, What is your favorite moment or character of this episode? We're going to start with Sam, because you felt so much that you didn't contribute last time, so now you're going to contribute. <laughs> oh, now you got to put me on the spot again. Okay, cool. Yeah, that uh-huh. that usually works really well for me, sure. Uh, my... You are a cruel mistress. <laughs> this tyrant, damn it. Okay, my favorite, my favorite moment, person, scene, um... I got, uh, I, I actually, okay, I really liked the scene where Damon gives up the uh, crown for the Stepstones. Um, it's different in this in the book, because I'm pretty sure it's at a tourney in the book, but I kind of, I kind of like how, like, when Damon walks in, you're kind of, like, everyone's like, what's gonna happen? Like, this is pretty crazy, and Damon just, like, kind of rolls over, shows the belly real quick, and I feel like everyone watching was like, well, that's bullshit. Like, I don't believe that at all. Like, there's no way he's just like, yeah, here's the crown. The stepstones were nice. I got a tan. I got a haircut. The crabs are cool. Whatever. Like, there's no way that that was just it. So, I, I kind of like that scene because Viserys also seems just like elated. And I'm like, this guy could not get dumber. He's just dumb every time. So, yeah, I think that was probably my favorite moment. Uh, what about you, Uzma? Uh, there's no point in uh, telling talking about favorite character because you already know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, for my favorite moment, actually, there are two. <laughs> uh, the first one is the same as you mentioned. Uh, Viserys and Damon's reunion. I love the, uh, seeing the vulnerable side of Damon. I like, uh, maybe it's just me, but uh, does it feel like Damon is kind of like a child looking for approval from Viserys? Because despite yes. everything that happened, he went back to him and was like, see, I did this for you and I didn't need your help. I did it without your help. <laughs> I achieved, <laughs> this is my achievement. <laughs> and uh, he did that. Uh, and I really loved when they finally hugged because uh, they had been fighting and uh, this was all because of Otto Hightower. Uh, he was the one who put distrust between them and everything. But they finally patched things up and everyone, especially Rhaenyra, was happy about it. <laughs> so I really like, loved that. And my, can I mention my second favorite? <laughs> Morgan? <laughs> I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Second is... Because we can't team. I love how I keep getting pointed <laughs> out, but I'm like, it's not me mainly. I know, <laughs> but you made a big deal about it the first time, so I'm just going to run with the joke. <laughs> See, Morgan is not a tyrant. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, she is. It's just an entertaining. She she is mer- she is merciful. <laughs> My second favorite favorite was Otto being fired <laughs> because I have really wanted it for a long time. It was late, but I'm just happy it happened. <laughs> what do you, Morgan? All right. Uh, I am going to be very typical and say the sex scene. <laughs> that was my favorite. Um, oh, my God. I'm going to have a heart attack and die from not surprise. <laughs> oh, 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 Elizabeth, I'm coming for you. I- yes. I'll be there soon, baby. Oh, that's a deep The taking cut. of Kristen Cole was a very interesting scene. And not just the actual carnality, but uh, the... The leading up to it, the the playfulness of the interaction was just so endearing to me. Uh, I just I I loved watching her play with him and him be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna let this happen." <laughs> <laughs> but he had he had some resistance there. There was some uh, some brat play going on. Um, Yes, uh, and it just, it was very interesting to me to watch and to see the interplay between their characters. And I, I really, I was thinking the entire time watching that scene, how much is Damon on her mind? What I want to know is, uh, would she have gone to Christian Cole if Damon hadn't backed down? Like, if Damon hadn't Probably. rejected her? <laughs> I think, I think that Damon was teaching her that she didn't need just one man. And I think that's the lesson she took. Uh, like he was saying, you can be married and still have fun. He's He is the kind of guy who ha- who is married, ignores that, obviously, has a mistress who he's pretty committed to, but still goes around and has fun because that's not uh, against the rules of his commitment. Right? Like, there is a whole perspective that he is imparting into her in that scene, and she just takes it and runs with it. And she's like, oh, I can do this? <laughs> Thanks. Best uncle ever. <laughs> Bye! Um, She's, of course, upset about the drama that he and her had together, but I don't think that that is particularly is the only reason why she went after Kristen Cole. I think she'd been eyeing him for a while. He'd been eyeing her for a while and she just got permission to play. Um, and so she played. Uh, and I, but like I said, I'm not really sure how much the way she played and the way that everything played out for her was because of Damon's interaction with her that had just ended and whether she was able to get that very recent memory off the very forefront of her mind while she was doing all that. And I don't think she was able to do that. I think she was enjoying herself, but also the foreplay had already happened. Anyways, Constance, your turn. <laughs> As usual, I pick some random nobody character that has no bearing on the story, but entertained me greatly. <laughs> and this time it's Samuel Blackwood, <laughs> our, our youngest suitor ever. <laughs> Woo! Hell yeah. Woo! 
who's barely barely old enough can't even grow a beard i mean he's he's not even a man yet and rhaenyra's looking at him like seriously first grandpa and now a child a baby a child uh but he's proven that he has stone balls because he gets called a craven and he draws steel in front of the princess and the king's guard and goes after Amos Bracken and quite possibly killed him. I don't know. He was on the floor coughing up blood. So I'd say that that's not a good sign for Mr. Bracken. Um, but according to the lore, they face off again. So it's this is just like the beginning of their personal vendetta against each other. Uh, and this is out of the lore, so it's hard to say if they're going to run with this or if this was a one-off nod to that. But that's that's my favorite part is when Samuel Blackwood, you know, shows that he's already grown a pair and protects his honor, you know, against this this asshole Amos. So I'll always enjoy it. That's my. I'll always enjoy a scene where a Sam is is uh, slashing up an asshole. So. <laughs> Never mad about it. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, that kid's gonna get slaughtered. But no, the kid wins. The he duel. almost looked surprised uh, when clearly. he did it too. He like stabbed and he's like, oh yeah. shit, uh, my bad. <laughs> yeah, that was great. He's like, oh, this guy's a terrible fighter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He lost. He yeah. lost to what? A fi- a fourteen year old. Yeah. <laughs> Who talked a lot of shit? Like yeah. a lot of shit. Yeah, he did. He did talk a lot of shit. He had. You got what was coming to him, but. Uh, so that's that's my random character of the episode. <laughs> uh, Solar, I think it's your turn. Yeah, um, I will have to say, anyone who's been listening to the podcast will know what my favorite moment of this show was, so I'm not even going to talk about it. However, I will say that my favorite character in this episode was Alicent Hightower. Um, for a couple of reasons. She had a couple of really good standout scenes, although none of those scenes were my favorite. But I may be, I don't know, doing that whole wishful thinking thing. But she really showed in this episode how much she still cares for Renee, uh, for Ray Ray. You know, um... She heard everything going on and she was like, okay, before anybody else comes to you, talk to me, girl. Like, you know, um, I'm a little mad from what I heard. I don't want to believe what I've heard, but seriously speaking, like, talk to me here. How can we get in front of this? Don't you understand how messed up this is? And um, really, she went back to being ride or die for Ray Ray in this episode, along with understanding the fact that she's in a really messed up situation. So her version of making the best out of it was to actually try and make sure that she could take care of someone that she never stopped caring about, even when she was being used as a pawn and she made a couple of mistakes. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta give that to her. I I gotta give it to her in this episode. And I'm shocked because I hate that family. But broken clocks and all that. So, yeah. I know. I bet you guys didn't think I was going to go there. But I did. So, there we speaking go. Speaking of... Uh, Al- Happy Morgan. <laughs> speaking of Alison, uh, I heard... Uh, so, uh, I saw something in the group that uh, people were saying uh, Alison was flirting with Damon when she uh, talked about uh, watching those... Uh, what was that? 
The tapestries? Yeah. Mm. Well, she... Mm. I didn't get that. I mean, she definitely likes Damon, <laughs> in my opinion. I don't... I didn't find yeah. that particularly f flirtatious. I think she was just trying to be friendly. I'm terrible at knowing... at noticing these things, mm -hmm. so I couldn't tell you on my best day. I mean, look, when you're... When you're hanging out with Viserys, I'm sure Damon always seems, like, pretty cool, so... It's true. He is he is the king of wingmen as long as anyone else is around, yeah. except for one guy. Without even trying, yeah. All right, well, it's time for my next question. We've already discussed this a little bit, and you don't have to be specific about what section or what type of a motivation we're talking about, but f for each of you, tell me about Damon's motivations in this episode can be any part of the episode any of his various decisions that we saw tell me why he did those things we're gonna start with solar honestly i honestly believe his motivation for coming in and giving up the um <clears throat> the what what was it the driftwood crown yeah, or yeah. Uh, whichever yeah. crown it was i always confuse um the stepstones with um the iron islands when it comes to the to the crowns that they use um when he came in with the oh no they made me king and now i give you you know i'm giving you um fealty here you go and here you go add it to the throne which i thought was that that was freaking metal um i really think that that was him making trying to make peace versus look at my ambition and all that stuff. I, I very much saw the, um, I may be defiant, but I'm defiant in your best interest. You know, I'm trying to be the person that is telling you the ugly truth, especially about the people around you. So that's what I got from, from his motivation on that scene. Let's go to Sam. So I, I kind of, I guess I, I'm going to answer the question with a question because I kind of think that Damon almost like set Rhaenyra up in a way of like, I'm going to take her out. I'm going to show her a good time. I'm going to like maybe sleep with her and like then kind of just screw up like all of like Viserys's plans for like marriage and stuff like that. Just with like the way it worked out, how he like showed up and he was like, you know, getting beat up by Viserys and he's like, why don't you just have her marry me? It's like, oh, I see what you're doing. Like you did all this just so she couldn't like marry someone else. So like, I'm curious. I kind of think his motivations were, I'm going to like, I'm going to get Rhaenyra like to almost like me or like just to the point where she'll sleep with me. And then I can almost like guilt Viserys into her marrying me and then I can become king. Do you guys agree with that? Uh-huh. Yes. Sweet. <laughs> I I don't. Almost think. <laughs> but not completely. Oh, Constance has, a, Constance has a different opinion. Tell us, Constance. I think that he was doing it not to get Rhaenyra. Uh, I, I think he had a sexual interest in her because we've seen that, right? There's yeah. definitely some chemistry between the two of them. We, that's That's been established on screen in their other interactions. Um, but I don't think marriage was his overall intentions. I don't think he was sullying her honor so that she has no choice but to marry him. I think he decided at the last moment what he was doing was manipulating her and he didn't want to do that. Yeah. He came to that conclusion. Okay. 
And then it's the same thing like with before when he doesn't deny what Viserys says. He agrees with it because he knows that no matter what he says, Viserys has already had his mind made up for him by Otto. And that denying it will just cause further harm. But by agreeing with him, he's he's somehow trying to placate his brother. So that's that's my opinion on that. Let me piggyback you off that. So first of all, I'm going to point out, go back to episode one where we didn't hear what he said about his uh, nephew that mm-hmm. did not live. And he immediate and he didn't immediately agree with the king when the king asked the question, but then he just went with it. It was very, very similar to this interaction. Exactly. You're exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just I'm, I just wanted to make draw draw the line sure. instead of just give the hint. Um, okay. And then, so but going back, I think it's very. I, I agree with both Sam and Constance, even though Constance said she disagreed with Sam, uh, because. I, I I think both of what you said is absolutely true, uh, with the only exception that I do think that marriage was on his mind. Um, I do think that he took her there to manipulate her. He took her there to ruin her prospects, not because he wanted to harm her, but because he wanted to be her prospects. Um... Not because he wanted to ruin Viserys' plans, because he doesn't actually try to ruin Viserys' plans as long as he thinks Viserys' plans are okay. He ruins Viserys' plans if they're hurtful to Viserys. If they're Otto's um, plans. <laughs> this one, he just really wants Rhaenyra, and so he's telling himself that the best way to handle this is to ruin her prospects so that he's her only option. Because if he's the person who is known to have taken her virginity, then he's her only prospect. But then, when the opportunity finally arises, he realizes how much he really feels for her and how much she really feels for him. And he can't do it. He can't hurt her that way, even if she's what he wants and the only way to get what he wants is to hurt her he chooses her over him but the harm has already been done whether he did it in the end or not and that's why later on when he agrees he just says just give her to me because this is what he wanted in the first place and he chose not to go all the way because he didn't want to hurt her in that way. But if the damage has been done, then the damage has been done and he wants to reap his reward. That's my thought. So you're saying you're saying more of an opportunist than a plotter. No, I, I, he absolutely plotted to do the things and then he backed down. And then when the opportunity said, Oh, you plotted too hard and got what you wanted. He's like, well, I guess I get what I want. He had feelings. The feelings got in the way for a little while. And then reality said, well, your feelings got in the way too late. Um, oh, well. Uh, Uzma, did you go yet? Uh, no, I completely agree with what Morgan said. Uh, because uh, you c- Damon is a very complex uh, character. You can't just put a single motivation or a single... Uh, emotion to him 
he loves uh, viserys but there are times he also uh, hates him for the decisions uh, viserys takes uh, so uh, it's kind of similar in this situation as well when renira comes to him with her problem when she mentions uh, that she is not ready to marry and she doesn't uh, she has this issue i the way he gives her advice it feels really genuine he he doesn't seem to be manipulating her it seems like a really uh, like he really wants to help her so when he uh, takes her out at night uh, it seems like he is really trying to help her but uh, the thing we need to notice is that uh, the person who brought the news about Damon and Rhaenyra going to the brothel was the white worm, Missaria. She was the one who brought this news to Otto Hightower. If she hadn't brought it, Otto wouldn't even have known about it. So this shows that there might have been a plot, but uh, I'm still not sure if Damon was a part of it or if... Or if Misaria was uh, like this was Misaria's way of getting back or something. Uh, what do you guys think about it? I 100% agree. I was going to raise the same point that Misaria is the one that tattled and if she's responsible. So I don't think that Damon had any intention of anyone finding out about this, but she's getting back at him for what he did on Dragonstone. With the assumption, oh, we're going to get married. Oh, you're going to have my babies. She's getting her revenge on him. Yeah, I, I have to agree um, with you on that one. And it was good to see Lady Misery kind of throwing her two cents into the game on that one. Because I was wondering when she was going to become the, the spy master, as it were. I, I think he took her to a public location and un, and took her disguise off. I think he had every intention of it not being private. I think he even planted Miss Arya uh, to be ready to do the thing. And then when he backed out, he got himself too stinking drunk to tell her, I backed out, don't do it. But uh, when Rhaenyra leaves uh, the brothel, you can see a child following her. So, mm -hmm. if Damon intentionally brought her to the brothel uh, so people would recognize her, there won't be any need for the child to follow Rhaenyra. Well, you'd still need someone to report back, though. So, I feel like, I, I like while it was public, I still feel like they needed that one person to connect, like, kind of the, you know, it's like playing telephone. Like, you need someone to go to someone to go to someone. So, and I kind of, and, and I do, I agree with Morgan in the sense of, like, I feel like Masaria was almost put there by Damon. And I mean, when Damon was lying there stinking drunk, not that he could do much, but he didn't seem to like really attempt to even talk Masaria out of whatever she was doing either. So, and, and maybe it wasn't that he got too stinking, stinking drunk to tell her not to do it. Maybe it was like she expected him to do more and he didn't do more. So like now she's like shitty about that too. So yeah. All right. Uh, so we're going to move on to our last question of the night, which is each of you is going to pick one decision made in, to, in this episode and tell us whether it was a good or a bad decision and why. Please don't pick the same decision. <laughs> <laughs> I think that decision about fighting Otto Hightower, 
it was <laughs> it was <laughs> i knew you were going to go there i already said it was my favorite one of my favorite moments <laughs> so uh, i was really happy that he finally did, finally did it but uh, i was kind of unhappy that renira practically had to blackmail viserys uh, that yes i'll only marry if you will fire him <laughs> she kind of bla- uh, strong armed him into that decision uh, and uh, i wish I only wish it had happened sooner but yes um firing uh, auto high tower was really necessary because he was uh, trying uh, I have seen people say that uh, it was uh, auto was doing his job no auto was not doing his job when he had renira followed it is not the hands job to keep an eye or a spy on the princess so auto was not doing his job he was looking f- he was keeping an eye on her so he could find any excuse to to get her out of the way for to clear the way for aegon uh, so i think he deserved it and it was a good decision <laughs> i i'm going to i'm going to jump in on that we were just discussing that uh misaria was the reason they found out so i don't think he actually had him had her followed i think everything just made it look like he did unless they've had dealings in the past as well could it be possible it's possible mm-hmm. i don't i i do think that they've had dealings in the past he said that this is a trusted source but i don't think that he specifically said said go follow rainira yeah i think everything just played out so that it made it look like he said like that was what happened the reason i thought of that's it, just my two cents the reason i thought of it was because of varus because varus has his little words everywhere and he kind of deals with deals with everyone behind everyone's back so it kind of uh, made me go there that's why i thought of it so what do you think sola quite honestly yeah i i'm i'm definitely agreeing on that one um yeah, as far as what your your answer was, I don't I don't disagree. I think you guys covered that part uh, most. Um, yeah, that that's. I'm trying to like think of something to add to that, and I literally got nothing this week. It's okay. You can just move on to your own. You, one decision that yeah. you okay. that you have an opinion on. Well, this one's for the people who listen to the podcast regularly. Woo! <laughs> Fire the man. <laughs> Fire the man. He is out. He is gone. I am super happy. Um, that was the one wise thing that I think was done in this episode. And I think it was done for the wisest of reasons, specifically. Um, granted, being backed in the corner of saying, okay, this is who you're going to marry. And it's like, I'll do it if <laughs> you fire this guy. Um, and him going... You know what? It is better for the realm, and yeah, yeah, that is, that that's a good thing. I can't trust your judgment, and I don't trust your um. What was it? Um, I see your ambition. I'm looking at your patterns, and yeah, I'm justifying why I'm listening to my kid on this one. So I thought that was a really good decision, and not just the decisions, but the reason that he gave for it tracked 100%. I was absolutely there. Um, just looking at <clears throat> all of the manipulations, all the games, and saying, yeah, your, your trust is spent. You're out of credits. Um, I, I thought that was really good and really well written on, on that front. So 
I was very much a yeah, we know it. Uh, uh, we know. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was good with that. <laughs> you know, I mean, am I alone in this? <laughs> no, I, I cheered. I, I literally cheered when he said it. I'm like, yes, <laughs> finally. I, I just want to. I want to point out that. Viserys gave all these reasons for why it was justified, but still fought with his daughter over it. Like, he, like, no matter what, he does not like being told what to do. Just saying. Well, the other thing that I can see, and this might be a little projection, is, of course, he agreed to stop, quote, his political headache. But after the decision was made... I could see him flashing back and going, oh, <laughs> um, after talking to after talking to Ray Ray, but before talking to Otto, just kind of going, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Five days. Your daughter's the queen. Your grandkids and your grandkid is my firstborn son. You're trying to get me to uh, not make Renera the heir. You don't like my brother. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I'm just now noticing you're a piece of shit. So, you know, and I definitely see that as something that happens a lot. It, it happens with a lot of people in a lot of ways, you know, so I, I can definitely see that. And it that. wasn't like Otto uh, was subtle about uh, it. Uh, he was doing it in plainly in front of everyone. It was uh, only Viserys was blinded by it, but uh, and he blindly trusted Otto so much that he didn't even trust the word of Damon his own brother when it came to auto he was blinded by his trust yeah yeah that that's what i got to say is the decision in this show that stood out to me and made me go yeah broken clocks baby broken clocks you know all right constance um the key decision for me in this episode was renira deciding to sleep with christian cole and i think it was a really bad decision she got all hot and bothered by Damon. She's fine. I think for her, that was like her sexual awakening. Like the first time that she actually felt any kind of sensuality in, in her own body. And here's someone that's handsome, kind, friendly. He saved her life. They're very close. So it, it only makes sense that she would want someone that she has already an emotional bond with for her first time. And I think that that's a really bad decision because they're so close to each other in proximity that it's going to backfire. You know, he has to keep a straight face around her. She has to keep a straight face around him. She's not going to want to do that. And they're co-workers. His job is to protect her. And, you know, like she said, insulting my virtue is treason. He committed treason by sleeping with her. I mean, and his job as a Kingsguard is to swear. I don't know if they're sworn to celibacy, but they're sworn they to never marry. They are. They're definitely yeah. sworn to celibacy. Yeah. So he's he's breaking all of yep. his vows as a Kingsguard. And I think it's just going to cause major comp comp problems down the road. I think that's gonna that's gonna sour real fast. And also, like, if he's gonna be the one protecting her, he's gonna be the one standing outside her door while she sleeps with whatever husband she gets in the future. Which that <laughs> is yeah. never fun for anyone. So, yeah, yeah. Poor Jamie. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. if, if, exactly. If, if we're talking about Sir, Ew. yeah. If we're talking about Sir Bay uh, from House, you'll do. Um, I will definitely have to say. 
I was very much reminded of Jamie in other aspects with the, yes, he's sworn to protect her. Yes, he's got a, you know, um, Constance's point of if assaulting her honor is an act of tree or assaulting her virtue is an act of treason, taking her virtue is like double treason, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but simultaneously, it's also his job to do what she tells him to do. You know, I very much got the um, Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction moment of, you know, your boss told you to go out and show me a good time and I want that trophy. And um, so I, I would say I kind of felt bad um, for him on that one. And I'm just like, but by presenting the situation there, I saw her putting him in a catch-22 anyway. No, I, I, and I, so, I agree to a certain yeah. extent, but I'll also say... Your your point is extremely valid. However, he doesn't actually work for her. He, he works, works for her for the dad. <laughs> yeah, he works for her worse. dad. And she doesn't worse. actually have to do anything she says if her dad contradicts. Now, of course, you can point out he'll eventually work for her if everything goes according to plan. But right now he doesn't. Well, what I... What, what I'm seeing on this is de facto and de jure. <laughs> yes. Because, again, what it, what's going to happen when he goes, uh, your grace, I know insulting the princess's virtue is an act of treason, but so it, um, so is um, giving her Dornish sausage in certain ways, <laughs> but she asked me to do it, so should I just go to the wall now? <laughs> you know, I mean, that that's really what situation he put her in. And given that you say anything about um, about um, his grace, oh, drippy back, um, drippy back eight fingers, um, you say anything about the Targaryen family and his first reaction <laughs> is you're dead. You're gone. I don't believe you. You're lying. Absolute denial. And um, cut off a body part and go stand in the cold. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was... Um, and again, I'm reminded of Jamie with the, you take so many oaths, eventually they're going to start contradict each other. And what then? You know, that that's what I was seeing, you know. I feel like this whole episode was like so porn-like. I slept with my my dad's co-worker. Cue the sex music. <laughs> yeah, after my uncle got me hot and bothered. Anyways. Uh, um, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't have uh, to like it. <laughs> my pervy monarchy. Game of Thrones. All right. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Sam, you're 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 asking for it. It's your turn. Okay, my. <laughs> well, the show is nicknamed Hot D, yeah. so that's all I'm gonna say. Okay, my uh, Hot D in this show. My. Uh, I guess the decision I want to discuss is, and what I think is a great decision is the Valerions uh, creating an alliance with uh, Bravos? You've got the Sea Lords of Westeros with the Sea Lords of Essos, the Titan and the Sea Snake. Like that, I mean, that's just like too good. That's just like a money relationship. And I thought I, I, I thought that that was a nice little tidbit they kind of threw in there. And I kind of like that, that Corlys is basically just like, is just like poking at Viserys, like, yeah, I'm just doing a couple things here and there. Like, how are you doing? Like, just pretty much bugging him the whole time. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love Corliss. 
We didn't even have to. We didn't see like I don't he wasn't think in did we see one. him at all? No, yeah, no. But he's still there. Yeah, he's still there. And you still no. gotta love him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we didn't see. We saw neither him nor um, cousin Nisi mm. in this one. And I'm really looking forward to what Nisi has got to say when the news of this hits um, <laughs> um, hits the stepstones. You know. Oof. All right. I guess it's my turn. I would pretend that I thought ahead, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> I am going to say that the uh, the decision that I felt was most interesting was uh, Allison going to Rhaenyra and asking her point blank. Now, I don't... I, I think it was a good decision to address the issue up front and be communicative. I don't necessarily believe that her intentions were 100% positive. Because like Solar said earlier, she was kind of not happy about what she was hearing. She wasn't really going to be receptive. Solar referred to her as uh, ride or die, right? Um, but... That yeah, would be but a yes. I don't think she was ride or die. I think she was, as long as you tell me the right answer, I'm your ride or die. <laughs> Which is not actually what it is. Because she lied, obviously. Uh, I've seen some people posting, she didn't lie, they didn't sleep together. Well, she said, he didn't even touch me. Yeah, she was skirting that issue pretty widely. Yeah. Yeah. And... Oh, she was just speaking Westerosi. <laughs> I mean, even no, that. even with Westerosi, like that wasn't like get skirting around the issue. She straight up said he didn't touch me. She didn't say we didn't couple. He didn't say we, we didn't and sleep together. On she said he didn't touch me. <laughs> right? Like, and that's a big deal. And that, but my point is that you could see it in the way Allison was asking the question. The way Allison was saying, like you Targaryens, you people, right? Like, she was <laughs> she was not happy with, if this was true, I lose all respect for you, was what I was getting from her. It's not like you were treating her with respect before. <laughs> but if this is true, I lose all respect for you. So tell me it's not true so I can respect you again in the way I want to, because then you'll be the person who I want you to be, the girl I have in my memory from our childhood, not the actual person who is standing in front of me. Is it possible she was jealous? No. Uh, very possible. I think I so. I didn't get that. I don't, I don't think that that's necessarily what's happening, but I do think it's very possible. Uh, I, I, I think it... I, she has, from an early age, had some sort of crushy crush. I don't think that it's like the forefront or a motivating factor... Or anything like that. I think it just kind of like an underlying thing that is almost a non-factor, but is still there. So I think I do think jealousy could be in there. I don't think it was the de the reason for any of her decisions. Uh, I think the re a different sort of jealousy, envy, was the reason for her decisions. You have freedom, and I don't. This was about Rhaenyra having the power to do what she wanted while Alicent felt completely powerless. And that's why I think if Rhaenyra had been honest, 
Allison wouldn't have been ride or die. I think she would have condemned her. Yeah, go I ahead, think it would also explain her dialogues. What is duty? What is power? Uh, something like that in the trailer. We discussed it in our trailer uh, discussion. Uh, trailer breakdown. Yeah. When she attacks uh, Rhaenyra with the knife, the cat's for dagger. That's when she says something like, <clears throat> what is duty? Uh, like, where is honor? Yeah. Because she believes that she's made the right choice in life by doing everything dutifully. And Rhaenyra is finding that she doesn't have to obey everything to live the life that she wants. And there's resentment there. Definitely resentment. And it's driving a wedge ever greater between them, even when they're seemingly coming together. It's only because of a lie. Uh, and so that is the end of my Fire and Blood segment. Back to you, Sam. All right. Thank you, Morgan. Uh, and for our final segment, we have the Fans of the Dragon, where Uzma and Constance will give us trivia polls about the World of Ice and Fire and questions and comments from you, the listeners. Uh, all you, Uzma and Constance. Okay, uh, so let's start with our trivia as usual. This one should be easy because it was a very standout moment towards the beginning of the show. Where is it that prophecy bites you? <laughs> I think we all can remember that one pretty <laughs> easily without any prompting. It's pretty memorable. Uh, so that's our trivia question for this week. Uh, so let's take a look at our poll for this week from the fans. What do you have, Uzma? Okay, the poll for this week was, what were Damon's real intentions in this episode? And 51% people voted uh, plot to get to the Iron Throne through Rhaenyra. So there are 50% fans who believe that <laughs> Damon had been floating all along. But I would like to believe that uh, they haven't read the books. <laughs> Maybe they are just show still, fans. Still, he's still your boy, right? <laughs> Damon's still your boy. I mean, uh, you guys also didn't agree with this, right? Do you? Uh, nope. <laughs> I voted for he wants Rhaenyra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> yeah, ditto. It, I actually added that option. He wants Rhaenyra because uh, some people commented uh, that uh, we should we should add this uh, option as well. And sixteen percent people voted for he wants Rhaenyra, and sixteen percent voted for all three of them. That is genuinely genuinely trying to help Rhaenyra or revenge against uh, Viserys and plotting about the Iron Throne. <laughs> so that's all we have for. The fans of the dragon uh, poll. All right, so it's that time again. Three, two, one. Who's that? Dragomon. Dragomon. I don't know how we get worse. I thought we were getting so, better. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, we're, we're we going to different do it paces. <laughs> yeah, when it was two of us, we couldn't do I it. I think right? by episode ten, it will just be <laughs> a. <laughs> rah, 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 rah. So we didn't see any new dragons this week. So we're gonna go with a classic from Game of Thrones. Uh, a cream-colored dragon with horns, wings, and spinal crests of gold with teeth, shining black daggers, and sharp black claws. Eyes with two pools of molten gold and flame that is even a pale gold color shot with red and orange. He knows his name when he is called. He's one of Daenerys's three dragons, and when she flies away on Drogon's back, she leaves her other two dragons behind. 
Our dragon escapes from Daenerys' version of the dragon pit and makes his home in the Great Black Pyramid in the house of Hulez. Now, this is where the last we see of him in the books. In the TV series, he's freed from his chains by Tyrion Lannister, who miraculously isn't eaten by the dragons for reasons entirely unknown. Uh, they break out of the catacombs and join their mother and brother in destroying the slaver's fleet with dragonfire and ending the second siege of Marine. This marks the end of slavery being introduced in the slaveholding cities of Essos. Uh, but our dragon is gored by an ice spear when fighting the Night King and is brought down in a single Olympic-worthy toss. I'd say that was worth a gold medal there. Uh, he's then brought back to life by the Night King in a scene ripped out of Wrath of the Lich King by Blizzard uh, with the help of some big-ass chains. And he blasts the wall with ice flame and brings it down so that the others and the White Walkers can bring their armies through. He wrecks Winterfall, but when Arya kills the Night King with the Cat's Paw Dagger, the dagger that has the prophecy of the prince that was promised, which we know belonged to Aegon and his father before him, so on and so forth, uh, this magnificent beast is destroyed. Now, that's what happens in the TV series. We don't know if that's how the book is going to play out. But for now, our dragon is Viserion. And that's it for Who's That Dragimon? And back to you, Sam. Awesome. Well, that is our episode. Follow us on Facebook at AWPOIF and Twitter at Ice and Party, Ice and Fire Party, and email us at watchpartyoficeandfire at gmail.com. If you are watching on YouTube, feel free to comment below. Massive thank you to our producer, our Lord of Editing, Jordan Rannells, for editing and putting the episode together. Be sure to check out our allies, Watch Party Lord of the Rings for the Rings of Power series. Uh, every Saturday, they will be releasing a hot take of the latest Ring of Power episode, and on Sundays, a big live stream at 11.30 a.m. Pacific Time in collaboration with Fellowship of the Fans, featuring a newbie panel with no book spoilers, a lore panel, Tolkien artists, cosplay, and custom food and drink recipes made by yours truly. People can call in, participate live, and the stream will then be posted on their podcast a few days later. So grab a couple pints at the Green Dragon and check that out. We also have our pals over at Watch Party of Wheel of Time who are taking a hiatus while House of the Dragon and Ring of Power air, but there are still 41 episodes to enjoy. This has been a production of the Watch Party Network. Thank you so much for joining us. We are your hosts, Solar. Not today. Constance. Morgan. Have a good one, everybody. And myself, Sam. Valar Margulis.